it was pretty much yeah i know i know things are awful but now what what what's next in the conversation it's maria from cooler earth and this is now what a special season of our podcast where i'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who are doing the work and being very intentional about how they find new and engaging ways to communicate the challenges we currently face and just as importantly, the opportunities, ways forward and reasons for hope. This episode of Now What, we're gonna do things a little bit differently. This is Michael Green, a different host than our normal Maria Virginia Orlano, uh, who we are going to actually be putting in the hot seat, talking to her a little bit about what drove her to do Now What, uh, and maybe, distill some best practices that came from this season. So if you haven't listened to this season, first, spoiler alert, definitely go back and listen to the episodes. Um, but we're going to jump right into it here with Maria. Hey, Maria, how are you? It feels weird to be on this seat of the episodes, but I'm good. I'm excited. Yeah, no, and it's certainly an opportunity for us to learn a little bit from across all the episodes, some of the best practices and things that came up. Uh, we, as a movement, a climate movement, constantly need to be sharing and learning from each other. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can learn from historic movements. There's a lot of things that we can learn from different uh, actions and ways of communication that are happening across not just our country, but the world. So I think this series and this season really did a good job of highlighting some of the, the best practices that came up. And, and one that really spoke out to me was right in the very beginning, with starting with Rev. Mariama. And in her season opener, uh, the determination and belief of a better future was really a main driver for her work as a community organizer. In this episode, she looked back at earlier generations in her family and the commitment they had as they had to come across uh, the ocean to this country in slave ships, they knew that they had to strive for her generation to have an opportunity for a better life. To me, her episode was a powerful start to the season. What were you trying to highlight in Rev's work, and why did you want to start off the season with her? Um, so actually, this is originally, it wasn't planned. Um, I did the episode with her, and immediately I knew this is how how the season should start, because... Reverend Mariama is is an incredibly powerful character. I think that's one of the most powerful conversations that I had um, throughout the season because of the eloquence and, more importantly, the optimism that she brings to the conversation. I think, and this is something for people that know me, I say it a lot, but we live in a time where skepticism is equated with smartness or intelligence. And so if you say things are going bad, things are going wrong, then you're perceived to be smart. And I think that's a big problem. She brings the opposite. Um, and it's not because she's naive and it's not because she doesn't know. It's because of precisely the opposite of that. She knows so much and she's worked in the community that she's trying to work for. Um, and it was incredible to hear her basically say that there's there's no other option, right? So even if things are looking terrible, even if the, the science tells us things are are pretty bleak there's no other option and and this is something that has been repeated through history and so when she went in that explanation that her ancestors did really genuinely didn't know that there was going to be a better future how could you right you're mm -hmm. put on a slave ship you don't even understand the language that you're being spoken in um driven to a land that you've never known to become a slave 
Um, and if they were able to get through that and provide for for future generations of African Americans in the way that she's able to live and exist now, um, then really that is the most powerful argument against uh, as to why uh, we need to be doing this work. And so that speaks directly to the name of the season. Now what? Um, it was pretty much yeah, I know, I know things are awful, but now what? What what's next in the conversation? No, and, and I think speaking of the eloquence and the optimism and the passion behind her beliefs, uh, certainly, you know, reflective of what a preacher, um, you know, in the entire kind of theory of how they go about doing a public address and the background that she has coming from a family of preachers uh, and, and people in the ministry. Do you think that our faith-based community and that style of oration, that kind of powerful ability to address audiences is something that we could, you know, lean on more or be more open to uh, in communicating to a larger public? Definitely. I think the whole series was also about breaking down some of those myths that we've been kind of tricked into believing around climate action and climate change. One of which is that religious beliefs or faith-based communities are typically against climate action. Mm -hmm. This is something I've, he I've heard a lot. And so hearing from a pastor, a minister who's dedicated her lives and, and her family as well um, to ministry and faith, is really incredible because she straight up goes through the scripture and the Bible in ways in which reminding us how if you believe in this faith and if you have this faith, then that's even the more reason to take on this work and to, to mm -hmm. become involved in be, being the stewards that we are meant to be for this planet. Um, so that's certainly a powerful narrative. And then when it comes to speaking, I mean, yes, people are moved by powerful orators by powerful speakers that are speaking to the things that they believe in and more importantly providing an alternative and option um for a f for the future and all great leaders have that in common and i think that we we really need to rely on that um as we as we move forward i think one of the parts of the episode that i uh, really just appreciate the most with her is so often we think and hear about the anthropocene and the role humans are having on our planet and how we are kind of the center of the story. Mm -hmm. But in the story of creation, humans were only created on one of the days out of seven. Right. Uh, and if creation decides that, hey, we might be better off without these guys, uh, then they might move forward or do something without us. And I thought that was a really uh, a refreshing way to think about our role on this planet and our engagement. So I want to move on to another uh, opportunity. And, and wow, holy smokes, is it amazing getting to speak with a Nobel P Peace Prize laureate. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very different uh, issue. She wasn't one of the IPCC, but she actually won the Nobel Peace Prize for the nuclear arms trade was that what it was so it's her her work on nuclear disarmament she's the executive director for uh, a campaign that's called ICANN um, basically they have lobbied and worked to create a treaty that bans nuclear weapons these arms are illegal because mm -hmm. of the humanitarian damage that they cause um, so yeah Beatrice I have known her for many years now we had the chance to work together when I lived in New York a few years ago um, and I've always just followed her work and been amazed at the kind of leader that she is, which is why I knew that I wanted her on, on the podcast. And nuclear weapons is a bit of a different issue, but when you kind of distill it further, it is 
similar in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Bulletin for Atomic Scientists have put out uh, the Doomsday Clock. Right, yeah, um, I've seen this. Right, every year they put it out around January, I think, and it's of the threats pressing humanity. And for the past two years, it's been climate change and nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, something else these issues have in common is that they tend to be very complex, quote-unquote, or scientific in the way that most people don't really understand how it works or why it is such a threat, right? People look at nuclear weapons and they're like, yeah, we've had these for 70 years, so what? Like, no one's going to use it. Um, but the problems go way, way past that um, and into ideas of inequity and disparities as well. Um, so so I think she was a wonderful addition, not just because she's a great leader, but because she's had experience, broad mm-hmm. experience, and communicated these challenges that may not be intuitive to, to a lot of people. Um so yeah, that was a great episode. I think in some way, both issues, uh, nuclear disarmament as well as climate change, are both you know, seem fathomably unsolvable. Mm-hmm. No matter what small steps that we make or what you know, small steps of progress that we make, uh, there's always going to be those bad actors out right. there. But the ideas of a vision of a better world and that optimism that came from uh, Rev. Mariama's episode, or maybe some others, really speaks to what drives those of us who need to stay committed and not be burnt out and stay optimistic, right. uh, really, because otherwise we're just staring down at that doomsday clock and seeing that we're out of time. But guess what? The next morning we wake up, we grab our coffee, we go to work, and there's another day on the clock. And, right. you know, we just have to keep that optimism or in Rev's uh, space, that faith that we can make a better world. Definitely. And I think, so So one of the things I wanted to really highlight in this podcast is that it's it doesn't seem intuitive, but I was a lot more not optimistic before I started working in the space. Um, and I say this a lot because people say the more you learn about climate change like the worse off you think that you are and like the the new reports come out and new things happen and new policy moves backwards and you're like well what's happening but since working in this space you get to meet every single day people that are dedicating their lives their efforts their energy everything that they have into solutions Mm -hmm. from technology to advocacy to all of these other entrepreneurial ventures that we see every single day because we're in this space um, and I really want to get that out to the world to tell them listen yes things are terrible but so many people are doing so much mm-hmm. um, that it's a bit of a disservice to all of them to say well we're doomed mm-hmm. um, because then and, and same as the people that came before us right no absolutely and I think that having that optimism uh, certainly speaks to what you said earlier in the show and that um, just because you're a skeptic doesn't mean that you're necessarily mm-hmm. intelligent. And those two things are constantly conflated. And you can be highly intelligent and be optimistic about the future. I'm not saying that we have to necessarily pack it in and that the job is done, uh, but we certainly are seeing you know movement and ideas coming from places and sectors and industries and individuals that just seemed so distant uh, maybe only a few years ago. So beyond you know those two wonderful, wonderful guests that we got to have on the show, um, looking at the others, you know, what really surprised you or jumped out to you as maybe something you weren't uh, expecting to learn or uh, weren't expecting to glean from, from this series? 
So I think one of one of the most deeply personal episodes for me, at least, was episode number two with Dr. Tia Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, she was your your professor. Yeah, she was. Yeah. She she I had the opportunity to to study under her, and and it's fantastic. She she's one of those people that is able to take issues that seem complex and terrible, and, and importantly, very removed from you, mm-hmm. and make them deeply personal. Um, and so I think her perspective and and one key message around humility and introspection stayed with me uh, from her because basically it, it we talk about these problems all the time we talk about the systems and the carbon emissions and all of the things that that are wrong that need to be changed but as long as we don't understand our roles within them we really aren't going to get mm-hmm. much much further um and it also, it, it seems weird because people are saying all the time, well, individual actions aren't going to change anything, but a change in individuals' mindsets are. Um, so in that episode, we spoke about, about the issues of climate change, but as they intersect with the issues of racism um, and oppression in other ways. And those are things that make us very uncomfortable, um, especially those of us who believe that we are progressive or are, are on a higher level of understanding on around these issues. Uh, but the takeaway really is that that work is never done mm-hmm. with ourselves. And so if if we really take a look and, and know how we might be failing or how we might be able to be better, um, we're going to move the whole conversation along. And so in terms of this and the communication specifically, it, it carries a lot of lessons, mm-hmm. um, particularly because I think as in the environmental movement, we have fallen into some some. Po- pitfalls when it comes to talking from a place of of highness sometimes to mm-hmm. people um that just doesn't resonate right or falling into this blaming game blaming people or blaming corporations uh for the issues when blame or guilt are never going to move people towards action mm-hmm. um and so i think that i know f- for me it stayed um, and it's something that I'm certainly going to think about a lot. It's our, our individual roles as communicators or any other other roles that we take on um, in this movement is is crucial. We always talk about in politics and in trying to bring people along in your issue mm-hmm. or in your uh, decision or, or interest of trying to meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's so much more than just that, right? As a space, I think, in, in the climate world, we tend, and, and we'll get into this in a second, and talking about you just can't scare people into action, mm-hmm. but we tend to tell people that there's a fire going on, and everybody needs to rush towards the fire and help put out the fire. Uh, but in reality, most people want to run away from the mm-hmm. fire. They want to get as far away from it and as safe as possible. So we need to maybe not just meet people where they're at, uh, but actually have empathy towards the challenges that they're facing uh, and find a different way to communicate to them that's more of a person-in-person, because person, at the end of the day, we're all just individuals and, and we have our, our own interests and our own commonalities as well. So if we go in, whether it's kind of on a high horse or go in trying to scare them into wanting to take action, we're just simply ignoring them as individuals and, right. and the empathy needed towards what the challenges they face are. I think that's something that we can really take away from uh, Dr. Tia Martin's uh, lessons learned and, and certainly also something that she got to 
practice firsthand in working for the city of Boston as our chief resiliency officer. Uh, she did a phenomenal job while she was there. You also got to sit down with John Kotcher from the Yale Center for Climate Change Communication. If our listeners haven't checked out uh, the Yale Center for Climate Change Communication, I absolutely recommend it. It is uh, a world-best resource uh, in this field. And, and he brought up something that was interesting to me that was um, that you can't just reach across the aisle and, and engage people from different political backgrounds by trying to scare them on the reality of climate change, but instead talked about using health risks as a potential gateway to new audiences. At Climate Exchange, we recently sat down with conservatives to discuss uh, how to frame climate policy. You can catch that webinar on our website, uh, and they mentioned something similar there as well. In the content at Climate Exchange, is this something that you focus on and take into consideration? For our listeners that didn't know, Marie is also one of our chief editors here in the office and, and managing the content as it goes on our website. Our audience has been growing a lot. Thank you. You've been doing a wonderful <laughs> job with that. But what are you taking into consideration on not just reaching out from a climate narrative, but also from a health narrative in trying to engage audiences that might not look like us here in Boston politically. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, definitely. That, that's something that we think about a lot and we spend a lot of time on. And what is great, and it sounds weird to say, but what's great about the issue of climate change is that the solutions are not just going to address carbon emissions that cause global warming. So if you talk to someone, even if they do not believe in man-made climate change or they don't believe that should be a priority, nobody is going to be against cleaner air or cleaner water for themselves, their children and, and their communities. Nobody is going to be opposed to cheaper energy or technological innovation that is going to lead to economic growth. Um, nobody's going to be opposed to more jobs locally in all these industries that we're talking about. And so no matter what your your political beliefs or your views, there is something for you in, in, in this movement. There's something to buy into and there's something that will bring you into the conversation. And so sometimes that means not bashing on the political climate all the time. Mm -hmm. Because yes, that's frustrating. But if that means that people will turn off the channel or X out of, of a website, then we're missing out on the opportunity mm -hmm. to really bring these people along or tell them why this isn't just about high politics. This really, at the end of the day, is about the lives of, of everyone. So climate change is considered to be something that's going to affect us years from now or in the future. But really, communities are suffering today, right mm -hmm. now, from all of these other things that are related to climate change, like pollution or contamination of water sources, contamination of air. Um, all of these things are related and all of these things are things people care about, no matter who you voted for in, in the presidential election. Um, so I think it's a, it's a big opportunity and it's something that we are trying um, to really focus on, along with not demonizing people, right? Because mm -hmm. your political affiliation, and even if we don't agree, it doesn't mean that you are a terrible human being. And I think that we need to be do a better job um, for ourselves, for our organizations and our work to, to separate those two things. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, most people just want to do good. They're good people who are trying to do what's best or what they perceive to be best. And, and yeah, at the end of the day, we can't go at this alone. Um, and we need the most people um, on board with, with our message. You would think that 
you know, as we change the messaging to speak to new audiences and different audiences, we would bring, you know, more people on. And I'm not saying that we're not. I think that that's something that is actively happening. If you look at the Yale Center for Climate Change Communications numbers over mm-hmm. time, you know, we have a massive majority of Americans that believe in climate science and they right. want to see some level of action at the federal government. Yet at the same time, uh, we still have these voices that are using these scare tactics and things kind of against action. There is a piece that was run in Fox News uh, towards the, I think it was over Memorial Day weekend, and they were talking about the radical environmental left Mm -hmm. and how they're hijacking the agenda for the Democratic Party to push socialist reforms through a carbon tax uh, to solve a problem, climate change, that doesn't exist. And, you know, that still does speak to a lot of people. Um, you know, the, the Twitter feeds were certainly uh, firing on, on my handle as well as a few others with the author over the weekend. But they're still using scare tactics. And, you know, a great example of that, I think, is the threats and challenges we've seen from the new uh, the Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. The Green New Deal's done a really good job of talking about the health implications, about right. talking about the job impacts for communities. Uh, we had a wonderful time going to the roadshow when they came here to Boston, hearing the speakers so passionately talk about the opportunity that could come from such a policy for their community. Uh, they're using those health uh, messaging points. They're using the job messaging points. But I also saw a poll, again, from Yale Center for Climate Change Communication. Give them a shout out one more time on this episode. Um, But that said, the more that people who politically lean conservative hear about the Green New Deal, the more likely they are to disprove of it. Mm -hmm. So looking at that movement and as something that has really shifted the narrative around climate change in our country... What do you think that they're getting right? And is there places that you think we can learn from their experience and maybe do better in the future? Yeah, so I think something that's fascinating about the Green New Deal is if you think about it, really, how often do we talk about legislation? How often do we talk about legislation that didn't even pass? Mm -hmm. Um, So so AOC and, and really the Green New Deal has done whatever your political affiliation is, has done a fantastic job at bringing this issue to the forefront of the fact that it's been months and we're still talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason for that is that it didn't just highlight the problem. It didn't just say we need to lower carbon emissions to this much by this time. But it said, listen, in doing that, look at all of the things that we're able to do at the same time. And and that speaks to the positives, to what people want to see. It's a concrete vision for the future and that's really what people buy into a vision of what this could look like or what this could mean and i think that's what really is scaring people on the other side of the aisle Mm -hmm. because it makes sense right like all of the things in that in that resolution make sense um everyone wants these things and so the the scapegoat that they're using is is using talking points that weren't even on the resolution if you remember um and they're latching on to these points to precisely inflame these tensions in people that they know are there. And this is mm-hmm. very intentional. Um, 
And so what I propose is that we need to be just as intentional in the way we communicate and we talk about things because the truth is no resolution, no Green New Deal is going to come after your hamburgers. No one's going to come take away your cars or... Uh, Stop you from flying. Exactly. But, but that doesn't mean that we cannot envision a, a future in which we we take all these things and we just do them better and we do them with a footprint that is less heavy on, on the planet and the environment. So, so yeah, that's been a fascinating discourse to watch. Maria, this is part of a larger project, right? Mm-hmm. This, this uh, series. And, you know, we have a reporter resource coming out on the Climate Exchange website here mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks uh, that's really going to further distill best practices and what we can do better as a movement of communicators uh, really to grow and as well influence uh, those around us to embrace these Mm -hmm. new ideas. Um, Change isn't easy. No one's saying it's going to be. But as communicators, we need to make sure that we keep our, our colleagues, our friends, our family, whoever it may be, with their eye on the prize of a better future and better tomorrow. Right. So... You wrapped up every episode uh, with the same question, uh, asking people about what made them hopeful for the future. Uh, What do you think really stuck out to you as far as what made people hopeful for the future? No one ended an episode with saying, well, I'm not, Maria. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, anything that that really stood out to you from that? And then also a little bit reflective uh, for you, what are you hopeful for the future? Yeah, so I wanted to end in that question that was an intentional choice because it's something that we don't ask often, especially of experts. So we're interested in what they know, what they've researched to tell us, you know, the facts. But rarely do people ask really personally what keeps you in this work, um, what keeps you going every day, and what keeps you believing that a lot of these people have families, they have children, grandchildren. What makes you think that they will live in a world that's better than now? And I know that sounds cliche sometimes, but I think it's extremely powerful. There's one thing that stayed with me, um, and it's in the episode by John Schwartz. Uh, He's a reporter at the New York Times. He's incredible, and and his reporting, he's been doing this for 20 years. And he said, you know, I go out there and I speak to climate scientists for, for most of my days. And what I really think about is that the people that know the most about this are the most hopeful. Because they know that there's choices that we can still make to to fix it. And I was like, reflecting on it, I said, wow, same. You know, the people that I work with and for and around are, are really everyone who believes that this can be fixed and solved. People who know way more about the science and even the bleakness of the situation than I do. So if they are able to remain hopeful, it this isn't like a, a far away notion of hope or, or a naive way notion of hope. It's really, we know what needs to be done. We've seen what we've been able to do in the past, which is why we're hopeful that we will do it again. Um, in another episode by Susan, Susan Joy Hassel, she said to me, I believe in hope, but hope as a verb. It's something that we really need to to do. It's not just we'll sit here and we'll say, yeah, it's, it's going to be great. You know, someone else is going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, hope as a verb is something that I know will also carry with me forward because we we have the right to be hopeful. But we also have a duty to to work for that hope that we feel. Um, and, and so that was very powerful in my opinion. Um, 
And something else is, is, is the new generations, right? I think this came up in almost every single episode. Um, people who've been working in the field for 20, 25, 30 years and are now saying high school kids are deciding to take Fridays off of war- of school mm-hmm. to go and protest for for the future that they think they deserve. In It's not even one or two. It started with one. And now it's hundreds of thousands of people around the world. Um, that kind of energy and that kind of commitment to our cause is, is very hopeful. Now, certainly, uh, the future generations have given us all a little bit of mm-hmm. optimism. And, uh, you know, I love the the idea of hope as a verb uh, in a reminder that we still have choices uh, for these episodes for a lot of other resources on how you can make your hope a verb you definitely check out the climate exchange website uh, we're going to continue to put fresh content up there new podcasts webinars learning opportunities uh, and really try and raise the ambition and push our country and push our movement builders to be as impactful as we can, especially going into these really important elections uh, and shaping the country into the future. Mm-hmm. Maria, I want to thank you for this. I think this was an amazing resource for us to be able to put together. Uh, I'm just so happy listening to it every Thursday, and it's something that I'll probably miss over the summer. Uh, for those of you who haven't, definitely listen to the podcast. That's all the time that we have for today. Uh, And thank you so much for your work here. Thank you very much, Michael, for taking on my role in this interview.